0: Welcome to Cultural Connections Lab. I'm your host, Dr. Kelly Forbes. We are here to talk with educational professionals around the world to impact and influence the education system as we focus on cultural connections and the education of multilingual, diverse students. We're excited to have you join us today. We sincerely hope that you enjoy the show. Hello, listeners. Welcome back to another episode of Cultural Connections Lab with myself, your host, Dr. Kelly Forbes. I am so excited to be with you all today with a new friend of mine, Dr. Elisette Moret. She is an educational leader that advocates for the needs of culturally and linguistically diverse students and promotes access to equitable education that is centered in equity and social justice. She is the owner of EduLingua, an educational consulting company that serves school districts and charters across the nation. Her company focuses on the needs of emergent bilinguals, families, and their communities. Before her relaunch of edulengua Dr. Moret worked as the Director of Biliteracy and Family Engagement at Velasquez Press. She has also worked at Region 13, a Texas Education Service Center, where she oversaw the Multilingual Instruction and Learning Support Team, the Migrant Education Program, and served as the region's contact for Title III. Elisette has worked at the Texas Education Agency, where she took on the Commissioner's Initiative for Dual Language Immersion Programming and has developed the initial Dual Language Immersion Implementation Rubrics. Additionally, she collaborated in guiding the revisions and approval of Chapter 89, Subchapter BB Commissioner's Rules concerning the state plan for educating emergent bilinguals. Dr. Moret also led... The development of some of the biliteracy modules that have been integrated by TEA, the Texas Education Agency, as part of the state's bilingual reading academies. At the national level, Dr. Moret has been con- um, a contributing author for Drs. Wayne Thomas and Virginia Collier's book, Transforming Secondary Education, Middle and High School Dual Language Programs, and has also served as a national bilingual consultant for the Center for Applied Linguistics. Dr. Elizette Moretz, has a bachelor's in, um, let me see, Spanish, a master's degree in education with a focus on bilingual bicultural studies from uh, Texas State University, and a doctorate degree in educational leadership from Lamar University. Welcome, Dr. Elisette Moret. How are you doing?
1: Very good. Thank you. That was very long, but I was I was thinking, I was like, oh, well, yes, I have done all of that huh? Yes, well, thank you so much for having me on today. I'm very excited to be here. And so, yeah, ask away. How are we going to be running this today?
0: Yeah, well, I'm just so excited to, to have you here on Cultural Connections Lab. It's really a great space for us to share um, our, our advocacy and our allyship for all of our multilingual and diverse learners that we have, um, whether it be geographically, linguistically, with their backgrounds, but just trying to really talk to our listeners, um, work with our listeners, and providing them access to ways that we can better encompass what needs to be happening for our diverse students and for their learning, and also for our teachers and our administrators um, that care so deeply about providing this equitable education for all of our students. Um, so just go go ahead, and if you don't mind, just share a little bit about your, your journey of getting to, to where you were. I, I was kind of linked in stalking you a little bit, um, going through and reading um, the past jobs that you've had, and we have a lot of similar experiences um, in our uh, in our educational profession, as well as, uh, I believe, in our overall passion for, for bilingual and multilingual education. So how did you get to where you are today? Well, I mean,
1: um, yes, yeah, so <laughs> stalking me in LinkedIn. We, I think we all do that in trying to find, you know, other people that we can collaborate with. Um I, I also, it reminds me that I really need to go back and update it a little bit, but uh, I'll get to that hopefully here pretty soon. <laughs> in regard to the journey, um, yes, yeah, so it has been a long journey. Sometimes, obviously, we forget that we've been doing this uh, for quite uh, some time. I was just asked this question uh, actually a few days ago. I was at a Trans Language Institute that we did actually in collaboration with other organizations as well at the national level, I think it was very much needed. But it made me think, because that was the question they asked, was how, how long have you been in this? And so in counting, uh, it's around 18 to 19 years now, uh, yeah. which I feel that, man, they have has really passed really fast, to be honest. And I think that when you're having fun, uh, time just flies. Um, I think you mentioned a key word that many times we say it so often, But we truly have meaning behind that, which that is passion. So I think it's passion what has actually given me the blessing, the opportunity to continue the work that I started, honestly, as a pre-K teacher. I was actually, um, back in the day, this is how it started, uh, not knowing that I was going to end up in the educational field. I was actually, when I went to university, I went for Spanish literature and mass communications. Actually, mass communications being the main major, I was uh, very intrigued, obviously, with TV, radio. Uh, that's really what I wanted to do. Not knowing that when I graduated from high school, I actually got uh, the, an audition and were and got the the part per se to be the the reporter, co-reporter, to for a show that was called Ganas in the Metroplex area in Dallas. And so it was for Univision. And so that's actually not knowing how my journey started in education. So just interviewing uh, professors, uh, financial aid counselors on how we could help families and students to uh, get a better education per se, or just to find out where to start. And so it kind of like got me very interested in the educational field, not knowing that that's where really I was going to end up. So from there, um, having come to Austin, obviously for for university or close to Austin, I went to Southwest Texas when Southwest Texas still existed, without me. And no, <laughs> I did not go there to party because everybody.
0: Else. <laughs> um, not I'll even actually, once. Uh,
1: have, well,
0: maybe, <laughs> yeah, maybe. maybe.
1: <laughs> parties are all around you, right, when you're that age. Um, but yes, no, I came because of mass communication and I follow my friends actually to to San Marcos. Um, it's right outside of Austin. I had the opportunity to also have gone to UT. I love UT. It's in my heart. But uh, obviously, just at the time, following my friends and being with, with my friends in a university where all of us, you know, we're, we're going together. But then um, actually graduating, I went into a little bit of business. I went abroad for a little bit, came back and went into law, believe it or not. But being, working in, in law at the state level, I met one of the lawyers that I was working with. It's like, And he said, there's so much need for bilingual teachers out there. I'm not trying to discourage you from going into law school. What I'm saying is that everything you have done, everything that you helped me with, you should consider to become a teacher. And so honestly, it was like it was... Like the universe was like conspiring for me to be like go use your your energy into in, in teaching and so that's how i ended up like obviously i went through getting my the certifications i needed passing the test and all of that but within like less than a year i was in the classroom and i had an amazing uh mentor um uh daniel reina which is actually he already retired from the profession but absolutely amazing mentor amongst other mentors. I know a lot of people actually does, knows Dr. Jose Medina. i just called mm-hmm. him compadre. Um, he was actually my AB. He used to come and sit in the classroom. And I think that that's something we share. We share the passion for teaching, the passion for how do we move students along, right? And so um, he's another one of my really good compadres. We call them a, a compadre because of... Uh, also, him and Tony have always been there in many uh, mm-hmm. things in my life in regard to education and my personal life with Sophia, my daughter, that is a dual language student herself. And so I just continue from there. I became a bilingual teacher at the time I say bilingual because it was a transitional program. Pre-K through fifth grade in different positions. Uh, got to look with my students with actually, I truly believe that when you get that opportunity, you truly see how much growth your students make. Uh, I got to look with them for three years, from second grade, second grade to fourth grade. And not only that, but to see the change into dual language as well. Because it's kind of like um, changing a switch per se when you go from transi- transition to a program to dual language to truly believe in the research that is out there by doctor, especially uh, longitudinal research from Dr. Uh, Um, Thomas and Dr. Uh, Virginia Collier, right? In in truly not just believing in it, but living in the research, really seeing the application of it and the outcomes that it can have in students, uh, especially when I live with them. So I fell in love with all of that. Obviously, I continue my journey having, again, having had a mentor like Medina, it truly pushes you to come out of your comfort zone. And so I had the blessing and opportunity to continue to grow with him. Him on his side obviously after had left the district. I went into leadership coordinator, director. We were actually directors of different school districts at the same time. So we got to collaborate a lot. Then he went for Center for Applied Linguistics and I became one of the uh, consultants for, for them contracting work with them in growing what we were doing in regard to dual language at the national level. So from there, I think um, just other doors kept opening, right, as being a contributing author with Dr. Thomas and Collier in the secondary side of dual language. Then uh, again, coming back to my own state because I was consulting at the national level at the time for personal things, you know, wanting to be here for Sophia, my daughter as well, as she was growing and seeing how much growth she was having as as a participant, I'm sorry, in a dual language program, then um, I had the opportunity to work with the state. And at the time, uh, our commissioner had a a big vision in regard to dual language program, in which it it continues to be, actually, and it continues to grow. That team, it's a phenomenal team that uh, continues to put a lot of resources out there for our state. And so at the time, we were creating, I collaborated, obviously, with people in the team, but in creating what it is, a dual language rubric for our state. What is something that is not more of a, I got you in a sense, but a support tool for districts to, to know whether they're, they're on the right track. So it's not about, am I doing it right? Am I on the right track with what fits and works for my students because every community is different. And so then I, from there, I went to the regional, like you mentioned. To the region, I stayed almost four years where um, I had three departments, Title III, the migrant and the uh, bilingual ESL department. But as you can imagine, we have so many students that are dual coded that in this and so the three programs support each other, like meaning the families and the students. And then um, at the time, I actually wanted to go back to my consulting that I used to have in the past. But then I, you know, I had the opportunity also to work with Alaska Express, which they have an amazing mission in regard to supporting as well uh, a lot of our communities. I always say and and truly believe, like I have talked to um, uh, many of our colleagues out there. I don't think that, yes, at the end of the day, it's business, but we all collaborate together. Mm -hmm. We only get stronger together because at the end of the day, as you mentioned, we have a passion to what we do and for we're doing this for, right? So um, I, I really love to be able to continue that collaboration
0: with everybody. Wow, that is an incredible journey. Tengo que decir que tengo ceros pero ceros de bueno, all right? Like I'm a little jealous, I have good jealousy because I also know Dr. Jose Medina, por casualidad, and that, um, I met him in Bangkok, Thailand, whenever he went there for Ear Coast International Conference. And I was living in Bangkok, Thailand, as an international teacher, enseñando español, teaching Spanish, um, Anyhow, my partner Chris won the guiding principles for dual language education while we were in his session. And so I quickly stole the book from him and I kept it for myself and then shared it back with him afterwards. But um, that's so fun though, but I also follow Dr. Jose Medina and Tony and Nico you know as they're doing all their great things right now across the globe and it's so encouraging but it's true um there it's that passion and that um that 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 desire to you know cost them in the name of of justice you know what i mean like really you know do what we need to be doing for our students though but um I'm sure that through that journey. So for myself, I was never going to be an educator. I was going to be a dancing bilingual wow. veterinarian. Any of the listeners Ooh, that are keeping I up with this, <laughs> yes, they know. And so, um, but that was going to be my goal was going to just be uh, this dancer. And I worked on a, a cruise ship as a, as a performer on Royal Caribbean wow. cruise line and came back and then got into substitute teaching permanently for, um, for a Spanish teacher that had left. And so I was just going to be there for a semester. And then all of a sudden, boom! I just fell in love with education, and so I had got my degree in Spanish. Then I got my master's in bilingual education in TESOL, and then just got my doctoral, yeah, in um, in educational leadership and administration. And so, um, and my focus, yeah, my focus was the dual language impact, the role that cultural proficiency can play in supporting all students. And so, um, but the cool part is that from all of my past into here, it really prepared me for cultural connections, to be able to have a different mindset, Um, especially working on a cruise ship where you have multitudes of different countries represented. And in that environment, um, you're just able to learn so much. And I know that those connections have really helped me in my academic um, career in my uh, in, in in my own you know self education. Um, what are some of the connections though that were outside of education that now you implement those connections that those cultural experiences that you now have in the field of education? Mm-hmm.
1: Yes. So actually, we were just talking about this. Uh, as I was mentioning, um, we were at the Translanguaging Institute. It was the first one ever that we have put together, and so we hope to continue that. And I say that because it truly. Well, obviously, I continue to, to read the research and work on it myself because it's a personal journey as well. Um, and so when you're talking about how do I connect those two worlds or how I, it came to be, it really puts it into perspective as I was sitting uh, in, the, in the conference these last two days. And obviously, um, I was part of the planning committee. So then we would debrief about how the audience was perceiving and, and grasping all of this. And it truly, it, it truly made, um, what I had already thought about it in regard to identity, it truly gave me even more of a aha uh-huh moment, per se. Let's not make it that difficult. <laughs> <laughs> and a moment where where you come to realize that everything that you thought you were doing wrong growing up, it was kind of like... A flip and an affirmation that it was okay to be who you are and who you're being. Yes. Even though we we kind of already, because of research again, kind of already getting there, it was more of a personal connection. And 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 let me give you an example in regard to that. You know, I grew up uh thinking that using spanglish or changing from one language to another was the wrong thing to do right i mean i remember growing up and my dad saying, and he en, en español, but don't be mixing the languages and so even at home it was something that it was perceived as you're not supposed to do that you know mm-hmm. and so we have this uh translanguaging, uh, corriente that we've been talking about. And and I know for a couple of years it has been, in a sense, kind of misunderstood. But when you take it down to identity, the research side, what I do for a living, what I love to do on the educational side, it's truly who I am. It, It truly portrays the experiences that I have had myself now knowing that if there was something that I could change going back, if I was back in the classroom, going back and being in the classroom, would be exactly that. That many times our teachers obviously are given the theory, are given to some extent, obviously the methodology on how to do things. But then we lose ourselves in knowing that what we are, Mm -hmm. it's the reflection of our students and how can we support that growth. And so for me sitting there, I was like, this would have helped me so much back in the day instead of separating the languages because that's all we knew, right? It's like, okay, niños is going to be 20 minutes of matemáticas en español. And it's like, and if they said an English word, it was like, oh, you know, like for for them to look at my collar or the hat or whatever I was using at the time in order to kind of let them know that it was either English or Spanish time, you know? When in essence, they could have used, like now we know, their linguistic repertoire to be able to continue to learn, to be able to know that that we could have differentiate that they were able to use language as part of their general linguistic uh, aspect of things. If That's what the task was inviting them to do, right? And continue to learn instead of putting that kind of barrier due to language. And I feel that that's exactly what happened uh, to me. Um, I was sharing this uh, with Dr. Tribble the other day when we were talking about coming on, on, on the podcast that when I came back, so my story is a little bit different. Um, And I say different because my dad did the opposite. My whole family lives in Dallas, mom and dad's side. And so when I was born, uh, in Dallas, even though a lot of people said, where are you from? And I'm like, "Dallas." where are you from now? I'm still I'm from Dallas. I don't <laughs> know what answer you're looking for. And I'm like, my mom's stomach. I don't know what else to tell you. <laughs> uh, I, I believe it's because of my accent and I get it now. We're in the past. It used to bother me. It doesn't bother me anymore. We all have accents. Yes. But it's because my dad did the opposite. He actually said one day, and I remember very clearly, he said, he got home. Uh, in Dallas, and, and asked my mom to pack the Monte Carlo. We had a Aquish Monte Carlo at the, at the time. Right. Like fit anything that can fit in the Monte Carlo goes. Everything else stays. And I was like, what? And I remember I was five, but I remember we moved to Mexico and we traveled everywhere in Mexico. Um, he had like third, fourth cousins that I never really met in my life, and so we traveled throughout Mexico. And he decided to open a business in Monterrey in the north. Um, but he did it thinking, and I i, I mean, up to this day, I say, Papi, muchisimas gracias for doing that, for taking the risk and for taking the, um, how would you say, la valentía to actually mm-hmm. leave the family and go, right? But he did it for three things, because he wanted to make sure uh, that my sister and I learned the language, the tradition, and that we could then decide identity-wise, what who we were there and where we wanted to be, either in Mexico or the U.S. To be able to communicate with my grandparents was was a huge thing, right? And so up to this day, I appreciate that he did that. What I didn't know, even though I came back every summer for the holidays and obviously in Christmas and New Year's for for the holidays with, to be with the family, is that when I came back, I didn't know that the educational system was different in that sense. That I was I was treated as a newcomer, even though this was my country, if we can put it in that context. Mm -hmm. So I have lived through what our students essentially obviously go through. Um, I had obviously the opportunity at some point in life to go to private school in Mexico. And so in Mexico, the the educational system is different. And then to also attend public school in Mexico. And so when I came back, just to give you an example of, of... Where this hits home for me is that in Mexico, I was about to uh, go into trigonometry in in high school. But when I came back, I was looked at for what I looked like, basically, Mm. what my English sounded like. And so what that created is that I was a newcomer, not tested, and put into algebra 1A. Not even algebra, algebra 1A. And so going back to your question to kind of like all of this goes back to that, is that many times we look at students and we're not even looking at either or or maybe just one thing, content and language. Right. Or content or language in this case, because the content I had it, the language. Yes, I was able to defend myself still because, again, I was coming back and forth. But there were words that obviously, uh, or it would take me a little bit more time to kind of process it and then be able to put it out in English. So the language for for my teachers or the educators at the time, um, they didn't see beyond that. And they didn't see beyond the content that I actually knew. And so that's something that um, I feel that going back to the whole thing of trans-languaging and everything, Uh, opens the doors for our students to actually show both language and content at the same time to be able to complete a task. But then we also have what we call like the language specific uh, performance, right? That that's where then we get to decide and and support the student in that transformation or that uh, performance in this case of the task. of being able to then produce it in the one language that we're asking them to show the standards or the mastering of things. So I feel that education has evolved and should continue to evolve, but we there's still a lot of things that we need to work on. But this is what makes it really nice that all of us are working on this together. So I, I truly believe that we can continue to make a change.
0: I really appreciate you reminding all of us listening right now about how your identity is so important in everything that you do and how people's identities and their authentic selves should be celebrated and and really valued in the educational setting. It helps so much to understand where students are coming from, who they are, their culture, their traditions, and how to leverage that in such a way to have a more inclusive environment in our classrooms and in our education system as a part to what we traditionally know is the the pullout system, where you know, which to me, and I'll just say it, it feels a whole lot like educational segregation in such a way. If you're going to keep segregating all of the students, although the intent is really kind of formed by by, by policy, which therefore affects practice. But if we if we as educators don't have the full understanding on how to teach a dynamic, incredible student such as yourself at that time that brought so much to the table from two different countries, a bicultural world, biliterate, bilingual, and using that entire linguistic repertoire to really help that cognitive process for your academic goals while maintaining and adding on another language. I mean, that's what opportunities we need to have for all students.
1: Exactly, yeah.
0: I am. So a a little surprise, I own this book that you co-authored. I am big fans of Doctors Thomas and Collier, of course. And so I took the opportunity this morning to make sure. Now I've been reading their books and I haven't gotten to this book yet, but I have read chapter 14, Secondary Dual Language Graduate Speak Up, Experiences, Impact, and Advice. And so whenever I was reading that, um, first of all, thank you for your contribution to this, you know, I feel like, because it really is all of us working together, and if it weren't for people like you taking the time to do this, people like me wouldn't have this to read, and to be able to learn from, and continue what we're doing, so um, I'm currently working with school districts, um, and I'll do a a shameless plug, Kelly B's Consulting, and so, uh, but, you know, I'm working with school districts, and one in particular, and we're implementing dual language programs, because we understand that, and so we've been, um, you know, really able to work with, uh, with cabinet level members, and teachers, and administrators, and families, and we're seeing great changes already in just what we're doing in our you know, sheltered instruction and, and dual language education practices. But now, next year, we're gonna get to start that dual language programming. And I'm really excited about it. And rarely do you work in a district where the superintendent is having conversations with you about wanting to do this and understanding more what this, this, this process is and looks like. Um, but one thing I wanted to, to speak to that I was reading And that I think that we're talking about right now though, you know, that identity part is so crucial. But what I also was reading in here is that, what the students, whenever you interviewed students to get their perspective, and and so listeners, just so you know, the students that were interviewed for this had already graduated high school and they waited one year, after their graduation to start doing any of these interviews. So these are students that went through pre-K through 12 dual language programming, and were able to give feedback from their point of view, which I think is something that we often don't do is get the students' perspective. Um, And I love that it was even spoken to, and here we get teachers' and administrators' perspectives of students in dual language programming, but rarely do we get the dual language students' perspective. But one of their perspectives though is that um, they felt like a family, And there was also belonging a sense of belonging can you speak to that and and share with our listeners why that is so important especially in a dual language program
1: absolutely yeah so um it has been a few years since we wrote that chapter actually that chapter we wrote it together Uh, she's uh, actually my comadre in life as well um also a product of what we call medina She's a candidate right now and a PhD candidate here at the University of Austin. And so both of us took on this task and, and we had so much fun as well when we were doing this. And, and you are correct, the side of belonging is, is that part of identity, right? Not only the identity, but where you feel you belong. And so one of the things that I remember in talking to uh, a group of students and the idea was exactly about that. Like we have the research, where are the educators implementing it? But how do our peers, uh feel, uh, uh, how, how do they feel, how do they transition actually from belonging to this big old family that they have the opportunity uh, to belong to for many years? Because as, as, as you can imagine, there may be um, one or two classes per uh, grade level as they might circulate it through the system. So they really, when they say family, they, if they stayed in the program, they really think family with their teachers and the families and the students that they were part of this group, right? And so the transition to come out of, out of that and going into the real world where you actually have to now have new friendships per se, it's a different setting for them. But I feel that one one of the things that I love about the program itself is that um, at the very beginning, maybe students don't get to realize because I remember asking my students when they were in second, third, fourth grade and we have do the looping, right? They were desperate to meet new students anytime somebody walked in into the classroom I mean, they were all <laughs> over, and over a new student and he's like, You're gonna scare her or him, you know. You need to, you need to tell a little bit. But no, I mean, it goes back to that—that actually, right away, then the new student felt like they were part of the new family, right? They were welcome as well. But in 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 going deeper to that, I feel that many times we talk about um, we have to make sure that students attain a certain level of uh, content, and they can show that through. The different set and standardized tests that we have uh, in different states, right? As the uh, accountability system, but I truly believe that in order for students to be successful to show results like that, you're never going to get to that unless you get to the heart of the student. Mm-hmm. And so, in as part of belonging, that's exactly what that means. Do you have that relationship with the student? Do you know where the student comes from? um uh the the family side what's going on at home and that doesn't mean like you know which wanting to talk about everything <laughs> that is going on at home but it's truly knowing the student you know the feelings the sentiment what they bring in um we were just uh talking to to the Cordova sisters if i and i say this because i didn't know who the cordova sisters and i own it, who they were look them up they were part of uh, 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 Dr. Susan Barras Johnson presentation this last, last week, and they actually showed up in person. I was amazed to their story. And one of the things that they mentioned when they uh, riot and created all this movement, um, it was in regard to knowing your students, the heart. Where is your heart? Where, how do you make a student feel welcome and that they belong in the the classroom setting. Because at the end of the day, many of our students actually will find that the classroom is the home for them. That's where they feel safe. And that is not every student, but we have some students like that. Mm -hmm. So they must feel that, and I'll give you an example also with my daughter. My daughter would tell you like, Mommy, uh, when she changed schools, she had to change schools in order to attend uh, a secondary school that actually provided a a, uh, dual language program in order to continue her uh, matriculation through the program. But one thing that that she said, she's like, I'm going to miss my comadres. And she was only in fifth grade. I mean, Uh she's already saying, I'm going to miss my comadres. And I'm like, well, what are you going to miss? Well, you know, like we would have achievement time every morning, and, <laughs> and then during recess, we would talk about what we like and didn't like about the lesson. But then, because they were they were in a safe environment where they can voice what uh, how they were learning as well. I mean, I'm t- I'm telling you, like. Uh, they they feel very comfortable talking to their teachers and saying, you know what, I I don't feel like I'm learning today. What else can we do today, or how can we make it fun? And the teachers were open to that. So we go back to how do I belong? It's not just the belonging of the the sentiment per se, but the belonging in being able to say, I don't think I'm learning, and I'm owning it. Right? How can you how can you make me feel like this matters for me, so kind of flipping it as well that the student feels that they take ownership to some extent of their of the instruction that is happening, but that they make it feel like it's it's coming home with me. It's I can take this uh, because I, I feel in a safe space. So um, and I say that because also my daughter is uh, um, an introverted and she doesn't like for me to say this. So hopefully she doesn't <laughs> hear this part. But, uh, <laughs> but it's somebody like her, and, and, and I have had students like that, that they need to feel that they belong, that they need to feel they're included, that they feel that they're in a safe space where they can actually speak up. And that's when when you hear them speak up, you know that they feel comfortable and they know they belong. So um, as part of the program, I feel that especially now going back to the students that we interviewed, that was something that got their attention right away when Iran and I were doing these interviews that um they felt one that they had a family having participated in the program, that they could always go back to that family, that they keep in touch to every student that it was part of their family. Um because they still belong the, and that's what they said. We would always belong to this dual language program family. Always. Like that that's not gonna change. And I think it's true because research would also tell you that Part of your identity makes you who you were in your, uh, um, uh, especially the, the the years in elementary, right? That, that's who's part of you. That's what you're gonna remember. And that's what's gonna either make uh, the, the person that you become on your professional side as well. So if they have good experiences, then that means that they're gonna be able to take that and apply that wherever they go.
0: I think that's so that, that's so true and it's so important is that you know to not forget that we're teaching little humans. we're working with, with, with humans that, that have that have many things going on in their lives, but really it's that that relationship that we have with our students and getting to know their hearts. I don't know about you and in your experiences, but in my professional development, I feel like teachers are always very passionate and have a heart right of, of service and, and wanting wanting to help and make this education program uh whether it be a monolingual or a dual language or just whatever in the field of education but teachers have such good hearts but there's something different and there's something special that i have to say i've been fortunate to experience when i specifically work with dual language education teachers and i feel like from my experience we always start everything that whenever i first start working with any teachers i like to start with the question of your why but the answers That you hear among dual language education teachers participating in a dual language education program, what's your why? Because I feel like that's so important. And so starting off getting to know just them and their hearts and where they are in this, but it's those teachers because they've had their own experiences as the ESL student, or they were pulled out, or... I worked with one teacher before, and she said that you know her, who's now husband, when they were high school sweethearts, and he was put on this this track from the uh, from the counselor. Um, and again, great intentions, every right, but the counselor, because of him being a native English speaker and white, he felt like she felt like he was given this trajectory for college that she was given a different trajectory, and was like, well, you'd be probably best suited for a community college. And so took her into different classes and like, so she had this whole different why of why she was wanting to come and to really elevate the educational experience and, you know, to help elevate the voices of our students and getting to know them and their hearts and their homes and their cultures and where they live and bringing that into the education setting so they could be on whatever track they wanted to be on, but not kind of stereotyped into a different track but those dual language education teachers truly have a whole different connection based on all of their experiences and they get to therefore you know really relate more to those multilingual and you know our diverse student body do you have experiences which i know that you mentioned some of them before but do you have experiences that you definitely say like i remember in school i felt this way and I don't, and I, and I try to apply that now through a cultural lens in, uh, in, in, our, in our profession today. What are, what are some of those instances? It's so interesting to me.
1: I feel that I had kind of like a, a one extreme to another extreme experience, if we can say that. Uh, and, and I'll tell you why, because when I came back, um, I came back uh, during high school already. And so when I came back, I went to a, I'm not gonna say the name. Yeah. (laughs) um, But it's just sitting in the Dallas ISD area. Um, And I went to a school that was uh, very low socially, economically uh, disadvantaged, right? Uh, Where, obviously my parents didn't know at, at the time, like how to search for schools, like where would it be the best place where to go live because of schools, right? And so it was just the high school that happened to be to be there, um, and I remember it was very traumatizing to me that when I came back and started going to school, uh, I mean there were uh, detectors like uh, that that you were passing through there you had to get metal your detectors with metal detectors yes and so to me I was like what, what's going on? And so, and this is the high school that I was telling you, like I was placed in algebra 1A. And so I guess up to this day, I always say, yes, I'm very traumatized by my experience when I first came back to the States because right. um, uh, I, I had always been, and you can ask my, my, my mom and dad, obviously all my siblings were very different. I also have a brother that uh, he, we call it El Pilon. He, he was something uh, that <laughs> happened while we lived in Monterrey. So, but when we came back, that's, that, that's what happened. Like, it was very different for me. And so I was very focused. I was a student that uh, I, I love to, and up to this day, I love to learn, I love to study. So I made it through, let's put it that way. I, I made it through. But I was very upset with myself because I felt that I had been able to achieve um, academically in, you know, being in Mexico. And then I came back and feel honestly stupid. Mm. Uh, Now I know that the system uh, was not ready for me. And I feel Mm. that, you know, our systems, our educational systems sometimes are not ready truly for our students. And and I don't think that that's so much a problem or an issue with the teachers is that we need to continue to provide that service, that PD that is needed for our teachers, for our administrators to truly understand that cultural side of things. That um, going back to the heart, right? That cultural side of things, and then how do we adapt that so that it, we we can integrate the whole, the two together, the academic side, the cultural side, the social side of our students, in order to provide a better education. So from there in, in that high school only lasted a year. Not only it was traumatizing everything that was, was going on, there were a lot of gangs, a lot of uh, uh, things that uh, were not or are not good at a, you would say a day-to-day for, for a student, right, in, in order to try academically. I feel that in a situation like that, you kind of want to be alive every day and don't focus on the academic but focus more on the social side of things because that's what you're being given. And so then I transferred to a a different high school a year later. And even then uh, my parents didn't understand the educational system when I transferred and I was in Garland, Garland ISV. I won't mention the high school again, but it was in Garland. Oh, right before I transferred. So this is the reason why I had to transfer. Because I wanted to go into a magnet uh, high school. I did my own research and I told my dad, okay, sign this form, sign this form, and sign this form. Well, you're going to take me to this other high school that has a magnet program. This is what I want to do. And I remember sitting there and the AP told me I, I, I could not be let in because I didn't have enough proficiency in English. Even though I had the content again. So that's when my dad wow. said, you know what? I need to look for a better place for my daughter so that's when we moved to garland and so we moved to garland and still the, the school didn't truly understand the whole spectrum of what a newcomer is and the issues or the needs that we may have but the school at least actually in this case they gave me my grade back that i had lost in dallas meaning that when i came back obviously i was supposed to go into 10th grade because the educational system is different in mexico right in mm-hmm. that regard you finish secondary and that's uh, ninth grade essentially. But uh, when you come over here, ninth grade is the first year of high school. But I had already done that. And I was uh, actually in the top of my class in Mexico. So I'm like, I'm not understanding. Right. So, yeah. So then I go to Barland. They give me the grade back. So I was the 10th grader only for two weeks and I became an 11th grader. The difference was that. While they still didn't understand everything about me, the difference was that they understood that I had the content and they were going to try their hardest for me to get at that uh, level of proficiency that I could actually contribute what I knew, that they thought I knew, right? But at least they believed in that and they put a lot of heart to it. Um, I very vividly remember, and I don't, I, I, hardly, I hardly ever uh, tell this story, but I was into every AP class you can think of. Um, uh, I had my dad by 11th grade sign me out of ESL because I was like, I understand, and I'm getting so frustrated because I know I can do more. So then I signed up for every AP class that you can think of. And I remember I was uh, not doing well in my AP history class. And that was because he had a lot of writing and being a productive skill. But well, that's now, and I know as an educator, that, you know, <laughs> at the time I didn't right. know. I'm like, I understand everything. I can kind of get by and tell you what I understand. But when you give me a reading test and, and that I have to write an essay, well, I'm not going to be able to show what I know. But this one teacher, Kelly, knew that, knew that. And so that's when I gained my confidence again as a student, that a teacher believed in me. And even though I was not doing well in her class, I remember up to this day that she, I made student of the month for this whole school wow. because of what she wrote about me. That's the moment that everything changed for me and, and made me realize, you know what, I can do this. I, I can truly do this because if I have a teacher like her, that believes that I have the content, I'll be able to show this. And so, from there, the the rest is history. The the registrar Ms. Nolan, that up to this day I am very thankful to her, is the one that pushed me to the counselor's office to find out about, you know, universities and where to apply for uh, um, scholarships and things like that. Um, but I think that the, again, the educational system, is it's what. We, we need to continue to change for sure. And I'm sorry, I think I got sidetracked. Side no, that you no, had. not
0: at all. No, you're saying exactly what you need to be saying. Someone out there listening is hearing exactly what needs to be heard. And so I'm thankful that you're just sharing all of this. You know, I think about in my experiences, whenever I've worked with emergent bilingual and multilingual students, um, I worked in a middle school one time where this, uh, an eighth grader came in, a uh, newcomer from Mexico. And... Um, I was uh, I was the instructional coach, and so I was giving them you know his the, the reading test that they have you know their their norm reference test and so but gave it in English and I would always advocate I, I really want to give it in Spanish as well because that's going to give us so much more information of where they are and so of course in English he was like at a first grade level and then in Spanish he was at a university level, and but the but because of the system and there was so much and. I, I get pretty loud sometimes, and I like to advocate and try to be an ally. Um, and I want the same for, for myself as well. But they would put him. They put him in this Title One class, and I kept saying, you know, Title One reading is a different thing than language development would be. But then you we're not taking into account that they know the content, probably knows the content, as well as the teacher knows the content, but we can't keep on separating them. And so what would your advice be, though, from your experience, knowing that they're experiences like mine, whenever we have to recognize. And so even in my research, and I'm doing a lot of research through um, Drs. Dolores and Randall Lindsey on cultural proficiency, and I just love all of their research. But, you know, somewhere in the mission and the vision statement, it does say that all students can learn. Typically in a district, somewhere it says all students can learn. But the question, you know, and they pose this question, but can all teachers teach all students? And that is, that's so profound. And I believe that yes, potentially, but I think it comes back to this understanding our students, their hearts, their identity, and going in, going in deeper and recognizing that you already knew trigonometry. You already knew you, not just history, but history of two different countries. It was just the output potentially. But what advice though, for the example of the student that I talked about, um, your past, for administrators and for teachers um, to, to advocate for themselves on behalf of this, like if I'm a teacher right now and I'm thinking, you know what? I have that student, I've been in that situation and I didn't realize I was being destructive. I thought I was being very culturally proficient and responsive. What would your advice be to them?
1: I, I think we, we even use the, the term facilitator. Let the students become the facilitators. But are we truly Ooh. doing that? Are we truly listening to our students and us become the learner per se, per se? Like the teacher becoming the learner as well. I, I always say I'm a learner. Anytime I present anything or in front of like doing a... a, a um, is it a presentation speaking as a feature speaker or, or you know it's always like i come in and i say i am not living here until i learn something to today it mm-hmm. doesn't matter what it is so okay. i feel that many times we we, we think that it's the teacher at the top and then the student at the bottom us teaching them when in essence we should be open to learning from them mm-hmm. and when i say that it's something as simple as a, um, that kind of clicked to me when, when again, when I was a, a, a bilingual teacher, I was teaching fourth grade, and by then it was all, already dual language in, uh, instruction in the classroom. And I remember teaching Texas history, as you can imagine, in Texas. I mean, just as if we just say Alamo in Texas, it's like whoa, everybody <laughs> knows what the Alamo is, right? And that's part of our Texas history. And so I remember that in looking at the, at the at the curriculum that I needed to teach, it didn't align with my students. It didn't align with me as it is. Mm. So that's an example right there. So then I advocated, and I say that uh, uh, Medina was actually at the time at, at the campus and I said, I advocated at the district level saying, I cannot teach this the way it is. Do, do we need to know our students and we need to ask them. And what yes. I mean by that is that even our teachers, they very specifically, you have to teach the student about John Navarro, for saying just names that can come up, like very specific people. But you're only looking at it through the lens that you know. So yeah. in this case, the teacher, right? You're not looking at it through the lens of what the student or his family may know. So for me, it was like, just to give you an example, Santana is treated as a uh, um, dictator, that's what it's called in 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 art, um, in the books and anything. And I'm talking like years ago when I was in the classroom. And I remember very vividly taking my students to the museum here for Texas history, and we were like, addicted. I mean, he was bad. He sold, you know, to save his <laughs> life." But like again, looking at it through different perspectives, when in essence, if my class, my bilingual class, had been sitting in a monolingual class per se, for lack of a better name right now, um, they would be so lost. Mm -hmm. They would be so lost because then now you're basically telling them that anything they had heard from their families and anybody that was on that side is a traitor. When in essence it's not, it's truly all about perspective, right? The way that you learned it. Through which lens are you learning it? How not making a lesson where you as a teacher going to learn like, so tell me about why um, John Navarro is not, a, uh, is not a traitor or a traitor in your parent's life. I mean, if you talk to my grandpa, my grandpa would, it's one of those like I'm blessed to have my grandpa, he's 101.
0: Oh wow, and my grandparents are 90. Yes. We're, yes.
1: Oh see, we have a lot of things in common. I um, know. <laughs> and you, you sit down with him and he'll be one of the ones that tells you history like nobody else. I mean, he's from the times of like, uh, 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 where he would steal very vivid stories of the revolution and like how things happened and he would tell you, no, the border crossed up and and not in a bad way, but listening to the story of like what history has become in t- it, be, looking at it through the different eyes, right? Mm-hmm. So that's what I always tell teachers that do not wait for your administrators to be the advocates and the saviors just yes. because they have the label of principle Uh, director, you are the ones that get to be with the students every day. You are their advocate. Yes. You are the one that needs to speak up for them. This is, we're in this because we love what we do. I mean, like, my compadre Medina has said it and I say it too, if we don't have the passion and it's okay to lose the passion, go look for another dog because we need people that have the heart to be in the classroom with our students. So I truly invite not only the administrators, but the teachers to be that advocate, to be open to learn from their own students, to have those honest conversations with their students. Like I was mentioning, my daughter could tell their teacher, you know what, I'm not learning now. I just, if I'm not getting it, what can we do? What else can we do? So when a student tells you that, they feel very confident that they can go up to the teacher to let them know that they're not learning, but they're not telling you they don't want to learn. They're telling you, how else can I learn this? Exactly. So now you have actually created a stronger relationship where you have actually met that goal. You already have them right there. They want to learn, but they're now telling you that's not the way that they can learn. How else can we do it? Student so voice. To them, absolutely.
0: Yes, yeah, student voice is so important, and it's really important to to remind ourselves that we're, we're not doing uh, whatever we do in the education system, but dual language education, for example, it's not for anyone, it's with a community. Hearing from the community, working hand in hand and really taking time to sit back and listen because the students know so much. We can learn so much. I remember telling my very first year of teaching, um, I taught newcomer students, sixth through eighth grade, all in the same class, self-contained, all subjects. I was brand new. go. And I thought, what What? is going on? Right. But I would tell the principal sometimes I would say, Hey, if you come down to my classroom ever, and if you don't see me teaching, um, I'm probably not necessarily teaching, but I'm listening and learning from the students. And so once a week, we would have just a committed time to just sit in a circle and then they would just teach me. They would just talk with me. But the cool part was, is that I learned better how to be a teacher. I learned better how to connect with my students. I learned so much from them. Uh, They learned a whole lot about me on just like a personal level. Um, It got to be where we would even play tricks on each other in the classroom because we were like a family. Also, I mean, it was our own belonging. Um, But hearing and learning Learning from those from those students just really impacted my life, and it changed my my whole trajectory um, in the field of education, but also how I perceive helping all of our students. Um, Just what you're talking about is so important. So yes, just to emphasize the fact that teachers out there listening, um, I mean administrators as well. But teachers, don't wait, don't wait for the leadership because you're the ones with boots on the ground. You are in the classroom. You are right there with those students. And not only to be an advocate, but really getting on that continuum of cultural proficiency all the way to that culturally proficient side of being an ally and really trying to find out ways to not only enhance the curriculum opportunities and the teaching opportunities, but the social justice opportunities for our students and to elevate those voices. I appreciate you saying that. I would love for you to take a minute also in this to, brag about yourself and about edulengua and how our listeners though could also find you reach out to you contact you and utilize your services um because i mean i'm just so happy that i am able to meet you and uh, have a new friend in this in in this education world but tell us more about edulengua and what uh what our listeners can can expect if they were to reach out and get to maybe use you and your services
1: Thank you, thank you. Well, uh, as you mentioned at the very beginning, I'm I'm relaunching it. Uh, It's a a consulting company that I used to have a few years back, and and then obviously that's when I went to the state and the regional level, and so I kind of left it alone. And so now I'm going back to this. I'm super excited about it, to be honest, in being able to support districts. So I don't have the website yet, but it's coming. It's being worked on. But you can find me. Either send me an email at lengua info at gmail.com, or you can just use my personal email, which is elizet, E-O-I-D-E-T, marti, M-A-R-T-I-Z, at gmail.com. It's all together, no not period, no data um so you can find me there there is a facebook page but it needs to be updated but you can find me also on on, on facebook and i think the instagram page may be already connected to it i'm working on all those details it's kind of like i'm already kind of working on some project and it's like well okay when i have a little bit of time then i get back to that but in regards (laughs) i'm in the same way i get it (laughs) yeah yeah and so just to tell you a little bit about what i'm i'm working on and what you can expect if you were to need support services. Um, obviously, my experience is more on the biliracy side of things, dual language programming, from conducting dual language uh, program evaluation, as they're actually very much needed in, in our state. And when I say that, obviously, this are based more than anything in regard to the rubrics that we already have by the state, but then kind of look for areas of growth in which we can make the program uh, stronger for the benefit of the families and the students. Um, I do, obviously, having worked at uh, TEA and, and have had uh, work with amazing people, uh, uh, especially Carleen Thomas, having been in that world. We used to share an office. This is what I was telling Dr. Prubo the other day. We used to share an office. So we used to talk a lot about different ideas. But we, again, in the world of uh, emerging bilinguals, it, it's through that vein, that the type of work that I do. But uh, bilingual services for me. Whether you have a dual language program already in implementation, thinking about getting it off the ground, or if you have a bilingual transitional program, uh, that would those would be the areas for me that I feel very passionate about it. That I know I can support. My type of support is not this is what you need to do. I I like the collaboration in knowing getting to know the district, the families, if the work is with the families and finding ways on how we can, we can always make it stronger because I truly believe that um, there are different things that are maybe needed by a district. The district is already doing something right. We have to look for those things that are being done right yeah. and how we can actually make them better to make them stronger. Because we all talk about, we're all in this for the same reason, to make sure that our students get the best benefit out of uh, school, right? So, and that's for all students. And so when we say all oh, students, that means that it's not just our uh, emergent bilingual students that are learning academic language. Every student that walks through your door, it's an academic language learner, no matter what. And yes. that's why I always say all. All means academic language learners, and that's everyone. So, um, yeah, just finding ways on how to support uh, either administrators, teachers, uh, doing coaching as well or just collaborating on on something that the district would like to see implemented. As you mentioned, I had the opportunity to lead the Bilingual Reading Academies. So some of those modules, I oversaw the the work with the uh, Reading Academy. What I like to say is that a lot of the things that we produce in, in my consulting is that I always like to see the application side of things. So it's not just here's the research and here's the methodology on how to do it. But how do we apply it? How does that look in the classroom? So that would be one of the main things that, um, obviously,
0: I will be focusing on. You know that 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 third pillar of dual language education, sociocultural competence, is so incredibly important. And again, in 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 that chapter um, in the in the Thomas and Collier book of transforming secondary education, middle and high school dual language programs, it also talks about that there was definitely it was found that there was a need um, for more culture to kind of be represented and embedded uh, kind of apart from what we would probably typically call service culture, having, uh, you know, like festivals and carnivals or a dance team or a language club. How do we implement culture on a deeper level to really fulfill that third pillar of sociocultural competence? How would you, what, would, you what are your thoughts on now, that?
1: Because I think there's, yeah. It's like the there's, most important there's, part. Yes, there's, yeah, And I feel um so another another part of my work is actually family engagement how do we take families from involvement all the way to become advocates themselves yes yes so yes that pillar that you're talking about in essence is how do we integrate families through the uh, yeah, so that's because it. In, in, integrating them and then yeah. we're not just train them right on the needs that they have once they're trained how do they turn it around so i always say and give that example of um uh, uh, taking the, the family through involvement, which is just a one-way communication, you're inviting them to the classroom, or you're letting them know there's an event coming up, that's, that's just involvement. Then engagement, okay, they're coming in, now there's a two-way communication, how do you feel about doing X, Y, or Z? Um, Uh, um how can you help in the classroom then that's that's engagement or ask providing them information let's say about the right or what the program is that's engagement but then when you empower them yes that's when you're ready they're coming into your classroom they're doing the lesson, or not the lesson but like providing the they're sharing their information they're sharing information with other parents that social cultural aspect of things—it's not just uh, Oh, I have a very good library in my classroom that <laughs> the students can read about other countries, or you know, existe el peri existe el raton Perez. Well, yes, but how do we connect that? And so I feel that families are very important in that connection of the social uh, cultural side of things. How do we make sure that when they become advocates, we integrate them into the program itself? So I truly believe that uh, one of the things that I continue to work myself because I'm also a parent uh, as well. um, It's that part that is not we shouldn't leave it just on the teachers. We as parents should be looking for those opportunities on y, y nos va a dar vergüenza y nos vamos a llenar de pena, and we're gonna get nervous and all of that. But you have to, to no feel
0: uncomfortable. That, that, that being uncomfortable and being so vulnerable, that's where you get courage.
1: Yes, yes. So I truly believe that if it not only if we look beyond of the having the books, which having the books is a big thing, right? Uh for our lessons and everything, but in looking a little bit more deeper or beyond that is integrating the family. It's it's only supporting what we're doing. Yes. Because once we integrate it, they're the ones that are also sharing their experiences with the whole class. That's the social cultural competence side of things. That we need more in the classrooms as well.
0: And I would even remind teachers and administrators and district leaders that the education system has sometimes been a place of oppression for our parents that have their students in these schools. So just to take that into consideration and try to find ways to ensure that they're coming back to a place where they're not getting hit on the hand with a ruler, like has happened, you know, for example, unfortunately so many times, but they're coming into a place where they're really being respected and elevated. Um, And so I just really appreciate you talking about that. Um, just for my, my kind of last question, you know, you have the experience um, that is so unique, but yet parts of your your past and your life um, experiences can be, um, you know, connected and comparable to, to other people can share in your experiences as well. Um, whenever you think about the, the, the bravery uh, of, of your father and the foresight that he had and, and your family support and and you just getting to grow up in this awesome bicultural, multicultural um, kind of, uh, a whole different life that a lot of people, like myself, for example, I didn't get to grow up that way. I was able to learn Spanish through a whole different you know pathway and become you know bicultural and bilingual, biliterate myself, but it's a very different way. Whenever you consider everything that you've learned from the beginning all the way until now, what would you say to your three, four, five year old self today, looking back to then?
1: Um, you're gonna have an awesome life. <laughs> you, you, you better get ready because um, as this little shy little girl, when I was that age, you just made me think of like, I can see myself actually sitting there reading a book. If my dad would say, Elisette, siéntate ahí, and just, you know, read the book, I would do it. I would care my dad at the time. <laughs> um, <laughs> perdón, papá. I didn't know. Sí, perdón, papi. Um, I didn't know I was going to turn out to be the way that I am today, and I say that, like, advocating for myself. I didn't know that actually what the word advocate was until I was already in my professional side of things, believe it or not. And I'm very vulnerable and I'm very open about that. There's many things that I didn't understand when I came back to the States, even when I became a teacher. And now I'm realizing that, yes, that little Elise of a three, four, five-year-old, I would be, be, get ready for for the adventure because you're gonna learn to be a self-advocate at first, but then you're gonna put it out there and continue to be for many other students out there that not necessarily have to go through the same experiences that I have gone through, because obviously that's what I don't want them to have. But to embrace who they are and don't feel ashamed of them being able to speak to languages, even if lo hablan, because I think even si lo hablan mucho per se, how people say, that's part of who we are. Right. That, that's that's who it makes us. So if I could go back until that little said, like, <laughs> <laughs> um, because it's only going to help you to be, even in your professional career, it's only going to help you to be who you are to continue the advocacy for many families and immigrant bilingual students.
0: I think that's so important for everyone to hear and I just appreciate your openness and your vulnerability to to share this. You're you're really changing lives in in what you're doing and that's so that's so important and it's such a special thing that you do and I just really do appreciate you and to all of the the listeners and especially teachers and educators out there just remember that you have the next Dr. Moret in your classroom right now, you know? And we all have accents and we all have knowledge and we all have all of this. And so let's celebrate that, celebrate the identities and the cultures and the traditions and celebrate the hearts of our students. Um, Is there anything else that you would like to leave us with today?
1: No, I just invite teachers to go back and reflect about their own identity and know that uh, the way that you grew up, it's completely okay. If you became a bilingual teacher, like like you have mentioned, in your later times, you're the coolest person because now you have <laughs> two, you have one identity that has the best of two worlds that have become in one. And so I truly, truly appreciate all the work that everybody's doing to continue I don't wanna call it the fight, but continue this fashion uh, in this trajectory that we're all are, that we are here to support everybody and collaborate uh, with each other. And let's continue to work together for the best of uh, what we can bring out of our students. Absolutely.
0: And we're just exposing the greatness, right? That's all we're doing. Oh my gosh. Dr. Eliseth Moret, sinceramente, muchas gracias por todo que ha compartido con nosotros. Thank you so much for everything that you shared with us today. And I just sincerely wish you the best. Thank you so much to Skills for the sponsorship for this podcast and to our producer, Mike Overholt, who's in here with me, making sure that we all sound good. And um, I just hope that you all got to make some good cultural connections today. So with that, again, muchísimas gracias por todo you all the best and I hope to connect with all of you soon. Thank you to my new friend, Dr. More.
1: Thank you. Thank you.